Okay, so this is the first new episode of my monthly podcast in over three months. What'd you expect from a schnook? In only three short months plus some change after the previous episode, welcome back to Autobiography of a Schnook. This is chapter 45, and I'm your host, Sean, and uh, I'm a schnook. <laughs> and uh, uh, Those of you who listen to this regularly, uh, you know that I like to put episodes out more frequently than I've been, but I don't know, I just haven't been feeling it lately. And um, something occurred to me, and I think I'm going to do this. I'm going to take a hiatus from this podcast for a while. How long? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I was thinking it'd be several months, but actually, after some thoughts, it might not be that long. <laughs> but I was just doing some soul searching. And uh, one of the reasons I do this podcast, as meaningless as this podcast might be, a good portion of the reason that I do this show is kind of self therapy just getting my thoughts out there, just basically burying my soul, I guess. And it's also an excuse for me to talk about different music that I listen to as well. Like, I don't want to just do a Beatles podcast because, well, everybody and their pet duck does a Beatles podcast. I do a Beach Boys podcast with my wife, but there's so much out there that I like and I like to talk about that I don't like to limit myself to just one particular performer or genre or writer so I kind of use this also as a catch-all for my thoughts on music. But um, I'm really thinking that what I need to do is rejigger the way that I do this podcast and make it a little bit more structured. I know it is structured to an extent, but I think I want to make it more structured than it actually is. And just as soon as I came upon that realization that I wanted some more structure, I came up with a outline for a three-part structure. And then suddenly a bunch of ideas came to me as to how to handle that. So this hiatus I'm going to take might not be all that long after all. But also I just wanted to set expectations. Those of you who listen regularly, uh, so you know not to necessarily expect a brand new episode a month from now or whenever. Uh, it's just going to come when it comes. Also, there are some other things that I really, really want to do that um Doing this podcast, along with two other podcasts I do regularly, and another one that I should be doing regularly, but I've been kind of slacking on the past couple of years. Doing that takes time away from other projects I want to do. Uh, believe it or not, I have a couple of more podcasts I want to launch. <laughs> but I think what my strategy is going to be for Autobiography of a Schnook, and for future podcasts, at least ones that I do by myself, what I'm going to do is record a whole bunch of episodes at once and edit them and everything and then just have them kind of in a holding tank and release them on a regular basis so that way I don't have to rush through and worry about deadlines and stuff and I'm going to see how that goes. Um, I'll be sure to talk more about uh, podcasts that I'm going to do in the future but for now let's just leave it at this. You're here to listen to Autobiography of a Schnook and I thank you for doing that. Now, the last episode I did was actually around Christmas time. And one of the things I did was rank the various versions of a Christmas carol that I have encountered over my life. Uh, not counting the version that uh, my eighth grade class put on in 1987. But I have one more to add to it. Shortly after I released that episode... I saw the Odd Couple episode in which Felix was putting on a production of A Christmas Carol with a bunch of little kids, and he was trying to get Oscar to play Scrooge. And, uh, of course, because Oscar is who he is, he's being all Scroogey about it, and he has a dream that he actually is Scrooge and all that, and hilarity ensues. Uh, I don't know where I would rank that in my uh, list of A Christmas Carols. And speaking of which, uh, I got some uh, feedback from a listener, uh, my friend and Pie Factory podcast co-host, Jim, actually. He says, uh, I totally agree on Muppet Christmas Carol. Oh, you have no soul if you don't, by the way, dear listeners. He says, Michael Caine gives an amazing performance and he deserved an Oscar nomination, in my humble opinion. We've had this one for years, first on VHS, then DVD. It hits a perfect balance of drama and comedy. We would call that a dramedy, wouldn't we, folks? Anyway, going on, he says, 
Second, my favorite Christmas album is a Dave Brubeck Christmas. Oh, I should check that out. I like Brubeck, but I haven't heard his Christmas album. He says, uh, for those not in the know, his 1959 album, Time Out, is the first million-selling jazz album. I did not know that. I did not know that. <laughs> yeah, some people call uh, May 4th Star Wars Day. Many others call it Dave Brubeck Day because of uh, because of the 5-4 time signature he uses sometimes. Uh, Jim goes on to say, anyway, his Christmas album is Christmas Standards on Piano. It really captures the mood of the season. My second favorite Christmas album is Halford Three Winter Songs. Rob Halford of Judas Priest presents five Christmas standards done in his style of metal, and the other five tracks are original compositions. Get Into the Spirit is one of his originals, and it rocks, and really does get one into the spirit of the season. Have a Merry Christmas, my friend. Well, I hope you had a wonderful Christmas, Jim. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I'm a little bit hesitant to check it out, because I, I just don't like metal metal usually bores me. So I, I, I'm open to listening to anything. Uh, so I'll definitely, uh, consider checking it out. Uh, and he also says, check out the movie, the man who invented Christmas. It's a fictional account of how Dickens got the inspiration for a Christmas carol. It's a new holiday tradition around here. Hmm. I don't know if I ever heard of that, but that's definitely something I will have to check out. Thank you very much, Jim. Oh, also, something I talked about recent, well, fairly recently, <laughs> relatively, is how last year I finally had, for the first time ever, matzo ball soup, and I loved it. And I talked about various matzo ball soups that I've had since, and I ranked them. Well, I had another different matzo ball soup. Uh, the way that we usually do Christmas in uh, my household is uh, Lisa's mother is usually in town spending a few days with us for Christmas. And so we usually make reservations for three at a restaurant called L Woods, which is uh, a few miles away from where I live. It's uh, just north of the city of Chicago in Lincolnwood, Illinois. So the restaurant's name is kind of a pun based on Lincolnwood, L Woods. And why Woods? Well, because the restaurant is based on supper clubs that you find in the north woods of Wisconsin. And uh, the place is owned by the um, Let Us Entertain You restaurant group, which is headquartered in my neighborhood, by the way. But they have really good food over there. We really like it a lot. And it's a great place to go for Christmas Eve. So I made reservations there, except I realized a few days before that I accidentally made the reservations for only two people and not three so I tried to change the reservation, and it wouldn't let me, because they were just already too booked to accommodate for one more person. So I canceled the reservation there, made a reservation for three at the Weber Grill restaurant, which is my favorite restaurant in the city of Chicago. And for Lisa's birthday, we booked a reservation at Elle Woods a few days before Christmas. So we had her birthday dinner there, and I decided, hey, this is a restaurant based on Wisconsin supper clubs. Because of that, I absolutely have to have something with cheese. I'm not just going to have a steak or something. So I ordered a cheeseburger and the waitress said, uh, this has uh, Merck's cheddar cheese. Is that okay? I said, sure, that's fine. Because to me, hey, it's cheddar cheese, cheddar cheese, cheddar cheese. And what difference does it make? I really wasn't aware that Merck's was this, uh, well, still is, not just was, that Merck's is a cheese spread. And it's not just any cheddar cheese. I took a bite into this burger and oh my goodness, it was freaking amazing. So I am a believer in Merck's cheddar cheese. M-E-R-K-T. I don't remember if there's an apostrophe S. Oh, one day Lisa was grocery shopping at Jewel, or as uh, we say in Chicago, Jules. Spelled J-E-W-E-L, but pronounced J-O-O-L-S-S, Jules. And she messaged me and said, hey, they have that Merck's cheddar spread here. You want me to get you some? I said, yeah. So, man, it's so good. So good. Anyway, while we were at L Woods, it was during Hanukkah. So they had a couple of Hanukkah specials on the menu, including matzo ball soup. And I tried their matzo ball soup. It was really good. I don't know where I would rank it. 
um, among the list of places uh, where I've had matzo ball soup, definitely not the worst, definitely not the best. But then again, all the matzo ball soups I've had, I really, really enjoyed. So none of them's really the worst. But <laughs> anyway, I'm going to just stop right there and just transition over to the first thing that I have to talk about for this episode. Basically, I'm going to talk about why I cannot travel in January. There's a reason, nay, there are two reasons I put my foot down on never trying to travel in January again. It goes back to January 2nd, 2014. My wife Lisa and I had booked a trip to Las Vegas, and because we are who we are, we also got tickets to see the Beatles' Cirque du Soleil show for the... Wow, I lost count of uh, how many times we've seen that thing. Anyway, that's uh, neither here nor there, but it was great timing. I've talked in this podcast before about how I tend to get New Year's depression, but here's a recap. I don't know why, but on New Year's Eve, I tend to fall into a painful funk. It goes back to when I was a little kid and would realize that I'd have to go back to school soon. I think as an adult, it just serves as a reminder that suddenly everybody forgets about Christmas, Christmas Eve having been just a week earlier, and technically the Christmas season itself still has another week. But this Vegas trip would have been a great way to prevent New Year's depression. I'd have something exciting to look forward to. Our flight was scheduled for 11.30 a.m. out of Midway International Airport. In these post-9-11 times, we got to the off-site parking at 9 o'clock and arrived at Midway at 9.30. Now, there was a bit of an issue with weather. It was a bit on the snowy side, this being Chicago in the winter and all. One flight was cancelled, then a handful of minor delays. But our flight was on time. Well, that is, until it wasn't. Our plane was coming from Dulles, but it was delayed getting out of Dulles for a couple of hours. To me, that wasn't a huge deal. I could just take a walk up and down the terminal, see if there are any interesting drinks, all while trying to accomplish my goal of listening to every recorded second of the Beatles' get-back sessions on the corresponding dates. Long story short, goal not accomplished. Meanwhile, the flight leaving Dulles for Midway had to be diverted to Grand Rapids to refuel. In the meantime, the snow stopped and the sky cleared up, making it promising for a quick boarding and takeoff once our plane would arrive and the passengers would alight. Unfortunately, the Dulles flight, or as it was now the Grand Rapids flight, took forever to land. And once it did land, the crew had timed out and another crew could not be located. After being at Midway for 10 hours, flight cancelled. Another flight to Vegas was not available for the rest of the day or for the next day. Lisa actually was relieved because, if nothing else, it meant we finally got to leave the airport one way or another. When she called to cancel the hotel, they were very understanding and refunded our deposit. Even the Cirque du Soleil, with its no-refunds policy, offered to reschedule us for another show, which we happily accepted. So our Vegas vacation turned into a Chicago staycation. I could have gone to work for those few days. Um, on paper, I should have because I was an hourly contractor at the time, but I didn't. I just chilled at home. The way I see it, this was God's way of telling me, do not try to travel in January. Which is why when Lisa told me that her winter break starting in December 2022 would be ending the second week of January instead of the first as usual, and perhaps we should take advantage of that by going to San Diego right after New Year's, naturally I said, <laughs> why that's a great idea. And rather than blow my allotted paid time off so early, I'll just use one of my floating holidays for the day of our flight and work from our hotel in San Diego. When it's 5 o'clock in Chicago, it'll only be 3 in San Diego, so I'll still have enough hours in the day to enjoy myself. I especially relish the thought of joining daily stand-up meetings and turning on the webcam pointed at the beach across the street. Hi, fellow Chicago workers. Nice day, isn't it? So it was all set. January 3rd, 2023. 
Our flight would depart from Midway at 11.35 a.m. on Southwest Airlines. <laughs> See where this is going? Actually, you don't. <laughs> By this time, Southwest pretty much had its ducks in a row after the big Christmas disaster. Again, post 9-11 times, we aim to get to Midway by 9.35, even though we have TSA Pre and can zip through security pretty quickly. We, of course, don't want to take any chances. 8.15 a.m. Car is loaded up and we take the Beagle to where she'll be boarded while we're away. 8.30. We depart the boarding facility and get on Lakeshore Drive at Hollywood Avenue, the northernmost point of the famous Lakefront Expressway. About a mile into the trip, I hear the car run over something significant with a loud thud. What the hell did I just hit? I say. In the rearview mirror, I see what looks like a large chunk of rock or a piece of asphalt or something. Then there's a ding on the dashboard, with the low tire pressure icon lighting up. Oh sh says Lisa. I check the dashboard, which shows the tire pressure of the front passenger side tire, 24 PSI. I'm thinking, I've gotten that warning before, it might just be a temporary false alarm. Then the tire pressure shows 21 PSI. I immediately veer to the right to head to the next exit. Then 15 PSI. I'm now exiting Lakeshore Drive. 10 PSI. Just at the end of the exit ramp is Marine Drive, and there happens to be one open parking space right there where the ramp ends. The tire completely flat. At this point, I had to state what to me was obvious. I, uh, have a feeling we're not going to make our flight, I said. Right away, I called roadside assistance just in case for whatever reason I couldn't get the tire off and put the spare on. Good thing I did, too. The jack and the spare were in the compartment, but there was no tire removal thingy. Uh, that is what that's called, uh, right? Uh, anyway, um, I was given an estimated wait time of 90 minutes. I put on the hazard lights and waited. Ten minutes later, the battery drained. Yay! While I was doing all that stuff, Lisa was able to reschedule our flight to 8.55 that night. Thankfully, though, it did not take nearly 90 minutes before help arrived. Unfortunately, despite having plenty of tools in his truck, the roadside assistance guy, uh, again, that's the uh, technical word for his title, right? Huh. Uh, the roadside assistance guy could not get the tire off because whoever last worked on the wheels stripped the wheel locks. Indeed, the car had just gone in for a regular 5,000-mile servicing, which included tire rotation, just six days earlier. The guy told us he couldn't help, we'd have to make another call to roadside assistance and get a tow truck. Which I did. Another 90-minute promise time. Man, all this waiting. It was a good thing that it was unusually warm for January, 50 degrees and overcast. And it occurred to me, after waiting for the original roadside assistance and then waiting for a tow truck, we would have to well, relieve ourselves. Can we wait the 90 minutes? I mean, I thought we'd be at an international airport with plenty of facilities by that time. This, my friends, is exactly why I don't want to live in the middle of nowhere. Just a block to the west were plenty of businesses. The staff at the veterinary hospital are kind enough to let us use their bathroom. We went one at a time just in case the tow truck arrived, which it did just a couple of minutes after Lisa got back. The tow truck driver brought us to the dealer. Yeah, I know what they say. The dealer's going to rip you off. You should take the car to a reputable indie shop, blah, blah, blah. But the thing is, roadside assistance would only take us to the dealer. The driver told us he wasn't surprised that our battery drained so fast because batteries drain fast in the winter. Except, um, despite it being the 3rd of January in Chicago in a place notorious for its brutally cold winters, again, it was 50 degrees out that day. It wasn't that freaking cold. Regardless, though, they were pretty backed up at the dealer, so we had to wait a while before they could get to our car. I realized I left my sunglasses at home. I mean, it was an overcast, slightly rainy day, so I didn't need to wear them driving. But we were going to San Diego, and that sun is hella bright out there. We keep a pair of sunglasses in the car in case of emergency, but man, those emergency sunglasses suck. So Lisa suggested I go home and retrieve my sunglasses. She also said that while I'm there, I should grab the credit card that's tied to the dealership so we can get some reward points. I seldom use that card, so I don't usually carry it with me in the wallet. 
Heading home from the dealership wasn't a problem, it's just a tad over a mile away from home, and I could just grab a bus that would deposit me nearly at our front door. It turned out that a bus was indeed scheduled to arrive near the dealership in five minutes, so I grabbed that bus, went home, checked our mail, grabbed my sunglasses, and headed back out. And yes, I know, the post office can hold our mail while we're out, but um, it's a long story, but our post office is so screwed up that we literally don't get the day's mail until really late at night, so I was actually getting the previous day's mail. I walked over to the bus stop and got a text from Lisa. She was getting super hungry, and she wanted me to stop at a certain fast food sandwich place to get lunch. My response was, and I quote, No f***ing way. Now, let me abandon this story for a moment to tell you about fast food sandwich chains. There's one that I used to frequent a lot until they discontinued the one sandwich I really liked. There's another chain that has almost no locations left. In fact, I think they only have one in the entire city of Chicago still open, but their big thing is they toast all their sandwiches. The other place I mentioned that I used to go to would only do it upon request. There's another sandwich chain that used to be exclusively on the East Coast, and when I lived in New Jersey, I mistook it for a New Jersey sub shop, but it was horrible. And now that chain is propagating all over the United States, and my wife and I are both disgusted by it. I'm not going to say which one it is, but Danny DeVito, who is a native of the Jersey Shore, sold his soul for this company, and believe me, most New Jerseyans are pissed off about it. Then there's the chain sandwich shop that I boycott. And it's a damn shame because of the four chains I'm talking about, their sandwiches taste the best, or least worst, as it were. They claim fast delivery, and, well, they're not kidding. This is where Lisa told me to stop and get lunch. Of course, there's undoubtedly the question going around among my listeners. Well, Sean, why are you boycotting this mystery fourth fast food sandwich chain? Ah, excellent question, dear listener. It's about principle business practices, and a disgust for douchebaggery in general. I believe it was 2017, might have been 2018. The company I worked for at the time, um, let's just call it Big Jim's Sales Goodies. That company was always looking for new clients. This was before the company was taken over by its biggest client and became Big Jim's online ordering site, which I talked about not too long ago when I talked about my recent-ish layoff. But anyway, back to the point. It was the Thursday of Memorial Day weekend. Like any other private business, we were closed on Memorial Day and ergo were looking forward to a three-day weekend. Now, one of the teams at Big Jim's, uh, not my team, but a different team in the company, had a meeting with Mystery Fourth Fast Food Sandwich Chain. Obviously, Big Jim's was trying to get their business. The meeting ended with this demand from Mystery Fourth Fast Food Sandwich Chain. If Big Jim's wants our business, Big Jim's will produce an exact duplicate of Mystery Fourth Fast Food Sandwich Chain's website, fully functioning. It would be demoed that upcoming Tuesday morning. I repeat, this directive came on the Thursday leading up to Memorial Day weekend. And yes, in case you're wondering, this does mean that several of my co-workers worked through the holiday weekend, canceled long-planned trips, and whatever else have you, so that they could work diligently to get an exact duplicate of Mystery Fourth Fast Food Sandwich Chain's website up and running. Good news, mission accomplished. There were only two possible ways you could notice that there was a difference between the real Mystery Fourth Fast Food Sandwich Chain's website and the one that our team developed. One difference was that the one we developed ran faster. The other difference was simply the URL. Mystery Fourth Fast Food Sandwich Chain was very impressed with what they saw. So impressed that they went with another vendor because they were a little bit cheaper. So yeah, my coworkers gave up their holiday weekends for naught because of this crap. Hence my boycott of Mystery Fast Food Sandwich Chain. Um, anyway, back to our story. I desperately checked the bus route from home to the dealer to see if there was any other lunch option. The only other thing was the White Castle a block away from home, and there was no way that I would ever eat that crap, and even less way that Lisa would. So, Mystery Fourth Fast Food Sandwich Chain it was. 
I ordered online on my phone as I walked up to the bus stop, only to realize I forgot to grab that credit card. The bus was just a couple of minutes away and the next one wasn't due for another 20 minutes. Lisa said, well, since the car's not going to be ready anytime soon, you might as well just go back and grab the credit card and just kill that 20 minutes, which I did. I took my time, used the bathroom, rechecked all the windows and doors, and then grabbed the next bus. I went to Mystery Fourth Fast Food Sandwich Chain, picked up our order, and walked back to the dealer, where Lisa was waiting in the customer lounge, which I was pleasantly surprised to see had been drastically remodeled since I was last there. I mean, they were getting fancy charging stations every six feet, including those handy-dandy wireless phone chargers, different types of seating, the works. We'd have to wait for God knows how long to get our car back, but at least we'd be comfortable, we thought. Then it happened. After we finished eating our mystery fourth fast food sandwich chain lunch, random rude customer came in. I mean, technically she was friendly enough, but why do I call her random rude customer? Because she sat down and started watching TikTok videos on her phone with the volume up. Well, whatever, it was roughly the same volume as the TV and we weren't watching what was on the TV, so we'll just give random rude customer a pass. However, over the next two hours, Random Rude Customer's phone gradually got louder, as did her laughter. Part of me wanted to say something, as politely as possible. An even bigger part of me reasoned that if someone was at the dealership waiting for that long, that's a sign that said customer is not having a good day, so why make her day even worse? Let her enjoy the damn TikTok videos. I think it was about 3.30pm when Lisa said to me, Let's take a walk. She led the way to the service department, where she asked a rep if our car would be ready soon. After the rep checked on our car, she confessed to him the real reason we were there, to get away from random rude customer. He apologized, but we assured him we weren't blaming the staff. While we were talking to the guy in the service department, random rude customer happened to walk in to check on her car. After she went back to the waiting room after getting an update on her car, Lisa whispered to the guy we were talking to, that's the one we were telling you about. At about 4.30, the car was ready. They got rid of those faulty wheel locks and tested the battery. The battery worked, but it had a relatively low amount of juice for a battery that had only been installed brand new the prior year. Regardless, we could worry about that later. 4.30 is more than early enough for us to arrive for our 8.55 flight. So we thought... And we were correct, by the way. <laughs> we figured with rush hour traffic, it'd take a wee bit over an hour to get to the off-site parking that we use. Then maybe 15 minutes later, we'd be at Midway Airport with plenty of time to have dinner. And that's pretty much how it went, too. We were at Midway well before 6. Both Lisa and I have that TSA pre-check thing, so we didn't have to go through all that rigmarole of taking off our shoes, removing certain electronics from the carry-ons, you know, all that stuff. So, getting through security was nice and zippy. We had a very nice meal at the Harry Carey's Restaurant Outpost, and shortly before we finished, we got a notification that our flight was delayed until 9.45. Eh, whatever. We made our way to the gate where we learned that the flight was delayed again to 10.15. Shortly after that, we found out that not only was our flight delayed again to 10.30, but we also had to change gates. Our original gate was one of the first gates in the B concourse, but our new gate, A4A. Let me tell you about gates A4A and A4B. They are far, far away from everything. The walk to gates A4A and A4B is long. As you make your way to what we call the stupid gates, you will find yourself questioning the assertion that Midway's property is only a square mile. What's worse, there isn't even a single moving walkway between wherever you are and the stupid gates. However, there are a couple of tiny seating areas on the way, so if the walk wears you out, you can take a break. Just as we got to the stupid gates, a woman who was walking away said the flight was canceled. I didn't panic because there were two stupid gates. That lady could have been talking about the flight from A4B. I checked the Southwest app, refreshed it, and it still showed our flight as delayed until 10.30. But the little sign behind the gate agent said, Cancelled. According to the gate agent, they had to cancel the flight due to fog. And um, it was a pretty foggy evening after all. Lisa turned to me and said, Do you just want to say f***? 
it and go home, or do you want to try to rebook? I said I'd agree to trying to rebook, but only if we could get an early morning flight. Lisa was able to find a flight for the next morning at 5.40. Yikes. I immediately opened the Hilton app to see if there were any vacancies at the nearby Hilton Garden Inn, and there were. I did not want to take the shuttle to the off-site parking, then drive all the way home to the far north side, and have to wake up again to get to Midway by 3.40 in the morning. Well, Lisa said there was no way in hell she wanted to do that either, so I booked us a room, and we took the airport shuttle to the Hilton Garden Inn, got checked in pretty quickly, and went up to our room. Knowing that it must have been close to 11 p.m. by this time, I got out what I needed for bed, got ready for bed, and realized it was only about 7.30. Regardless, we slept until about 2.30 a.m., got up, showered, and took the shuttle back to the airport. Repeat the security process, we went straight to the gate, thankfully not one of the stupid gates this time. Problem, though, um, we were a bit peckish, but nothing was open. Now, anybody listening who happens to be in charge of airport businesses, listen to me. You listening? Okay, good. If there are flights scheduled, be open. I mean, even if we hadn't been hungry, we still would have wanted something to drink because it was dry AF at Midway and we both desperately needed something to drink. There are vending machines where the A concourse and B concourse meet, but they were empty except for some really nasty diet drinks, no iced tea or lemonade or anything. I walked throughout the concourses to see if anything was open, and there was one vendor open, the Midway Outpost of Nuts on Clark. Nuts on Clark is a popcorn and peanuts vendor whose main location is about two blocks north of Wrigley Field. They were the only place open that sold any kind of consumable, so there were a lot of people in line. The workers at Nuts on Clark were offering free popcorn samples to those waiting. I grabbed a couple of Gold Peak iced teas out of the fridge, paid for them, and went back to the gate, only to find that in my sleepy, foggy haze of a mind... I accidentally bought the wrong variety. Lisa prefers unsweetened, but I accidentally grabbed raspberry, which is much too sweet for her tastes. As for our flight, well, this time it went off without a hitch. In fact, the gate agent seemed to be in quite a hurry to get us out of the airport. As I waited in line, I messaged my boss to let him know that I'd just be landing when our daily stand-up would be happening, and ergo, I'd have to miss it. No problem, he said. Just update the team when you can. So Wednesday, January 4th, I worked from our hotel room in San Diego and was quite sleepy, struggling to stay awake. Thursday, I worked from the deck in the hotel's courtyard, while across the street, a guy with dreadlocks and an untuned acoustic guitar was strumming seemingly random chords in a reggae beat and scream-singing lyrics that sounded even more random. And he stopped his performance just as my workday ended. But man, I was feeling just... Not mentally well, what with working immediately after a flight the day before with little sleep. I needed a day for my body to catch up, so with my boss's blessing, I took Friday off. In fact, before the trip happened, he even encouraged me to take some more time off so I could at least enjoy some of the trip. Can't say he was wrong. We made it back home to Chicago with no issues at all. No delays, no nothing. But still, when our flight to San Diego that Tuesday night was cancelled... I told Lisa that never, ever again would we be traveling in January. God was once again telling us that January is no time to travel. Who am I to argue? So now you know why I will no longer travel in January. Oh, by the way, having said that... Just a few days before I recorded this, Lisa told me, I'm making an executive decision. We are going to San Diego this coming January again. <sighs> so I guess I lost that battle. <laughs> I think the reason is that San Diego, Ocean Beach in particular, is Lisa's, I'm pretty sure, favorite place that we've been to of all the places we've been to. And um, so far this year, we had no plans to go. Because for spring break, which is coming up a couple of days after I'm recording this, we're going to New Orleans. For our summer trip, we're going to London. Can't wait for that. I'm really excited about that. My first time leaving North America ever. And after that, we don't really have anything except the annual 
Thanksgiving trip to New Jersey. So I think she just wants to make sure that she gets to Ocean Beach at some point. But we'll see how that goes. Having said that, I got to talk about music. I love music. And uh, going to do something highly unusual. Something that uh, I never did before for this podcast or any other thing. And um, it was a pain in the butt to edit. I'll put it to you that way. <laughs> but a lot of fun to record. And um, for reasons that will become apparent, I'm going to call this Music for Schnook segment Cosmic Schnook. For this particular installment of uh, Music for Schnooks, I'm going to try something a little bit different from what I've done in past episodes you're going to hear a live reaction from me to an album I never really sat down and listened to before. Specifically, it's the B-52's Cosmic Thing from 1989. It came out in the early summer between my freshman and sophomore years of high school. So, hey, if you want to calculate my age, go right ahead. Uh, you might not be 100% accurate. You'll be about 90-some percent accurate, but... um. I believe this is the first album that the band released after the death of uh, Ricky Wilson, their guitar player. And uh, let me see, I have the CD right in front of me here. So the band, of course, consists of Cindy Wilson, Kate Pearson, Fred Schneider, and Keith Strickland. At least that's the credited band in the notes. Uh, looks like half the album was produced, well, roughly half the album was produced by Don Was of Was Not Was fame. Remember Walk the Dinosaur? <laughs> and the other half was produced by Niall Rogers. Now, I've never really sat down and listened to this album before. Uh, this is actually from uh, Lisa's portion of our music collection. When she saw a review of it back when it came out and saw that it had kind of a Beach Boysy sound, she decided to check it out, and she really liked it. Now, I personally had never heard, or at least don't recall hearing, about the B-52s before I heard Love Shack. So I wasn't familiar with Rock Lobster and uh, other such songs from their earlier era, I guess. But overall, I'm not terribly familiar with Cosmic Thing. Uh, there are a few songs I do know. Of course, I know the hits. Love Shack, Rome, Channel Z. Uh, I've had some exposure to Junebug. Um, I love Follow Your Bliss, the closing track on the album. And I will confess that... Uh, I'm a little bit tainted beyond that because a few days prior to recording this, when Lisa and I were on our way home from my mother's house, Lisa flipped the radio over to the Sirius XM 80s channel, and they were playing Cosmic Thing, the opening track and, of course, title track from the album. But to be quite honest, I don't remember a thing about it, even though I just heard it a few days ago. Dry County also I'm very familiar with, and I really like it a lot. That's the second track on side one. The third track, Deadbeat Club, I know I've heard it several times. The reason that I remember this is because when Lisa and I went to Las Vegas in, I think it was 2002, the second time we went there together, we rented a car, and because uh, Lisa had a really, really good corporate partnership with her job and uh, the car rental place, I think it was Hertz, we were able to get a convertible Mustang for dirt cheap. So we rented a Mustang for that trip. And uh, one night during that trip, we decided just for fun, let's drive to the California border and back just to say we've driven to California. And during that drive to California, she popped Cosmic Thing into the CD player of the car. And we listened to, I think, just a little bit of it. And I remember really liking Dry County and... Uh, and it is a song that I do frequently play from time to time. But what I'm going to do is uh, listen to the album right now, and I'm going to comment on it as I hear it. You, dear listener, are not going to hear the whole album because, well, copyright reasons. In podcasting, you can get away with a maximum of 30 seconds of a song, providing that you are directly commenting on it. So you're only going to hear little bits of each song. Now, if you are a regular listener to this podcast, you might remember Lisa and me talking about the concerts we went to last year. We were originally going to see the B-52s when they were in town, 
But Lisa decided she didn't want to see them after she read some reviews of the concerts and saw that, first of all, the opening act was KC and the Sunshine Band, and she didn't want to sit through KC and the Sunshine Band. (laughs) And uh, also she saw the set list. She loves being spoiled. She doesn't wait. She looks at set lists, and she saw that their short set was very light on Cosmic Thing. And she was only familiar with Cosmic Thing, and she never heard things like... uh, Again, Rock Lobster. (laughs) That's the only other B-52s song I can think of. Well, except for Good Stuff from their next album, Good Stuff, which apparently nobody liked. Uh, I liked that song when I heard it. Uh, One of my teachers in high school said, oh, you're nuts when he heard heard me say that. Because he thought that uh, Good Stuff was a terrible album, too. (laughs) Anyway, um, one more thing I'm going to babble about before I go on to the actual listening. Some trivia. You may have heard me in a previous episode talk about my love for Commodore's Amiga line of computers. Well, somebody at Commodore was a B-52s fan because in the Amiga 500, I think this is how it went, in the Amiga 500 on the motherboard, you could see the phrase Rock Lobster etched on it. On the Amiga 600, the phrase Junebug was etched on it. And on the Amiga 1200, the motherboard had Channel Z etched. So that was some uh, interesting trivia. But anyway, I'm going to shut up about that now and get straight into listening. We're going to start with Side One, which has Cosmic Thing, Dry County, Deadbeat Club, Love Shack, and Junebug. So here we go. Wow, it starts right in, doesn't it? Okay, this is a fun track. I'm liking this. All right, I'm not a dancer, but this might make me dance. All right, I'm really digging the bass line and the vocals. Oh man, Kate and Cindy are great on this. I think the drums could be mixed a little farther forward. Okay, they sound like they're having a lot of fun. That guitar solo should be mixed up a little bit too. That's pretty good. Okay, that was cool. Dry County is next. Ooh, nice little bass slide there. I like the percussion pattern on here. It's pretty cool. Intro could be a little shorter, I think. Trust me, when you're listening to this while driving down a desert road at night in a convertible Mustang, this song sounds really cool. Ooh, nice little phasing effect on the vocal there. Interesting that the concept of Dry County doesn't come up until pretty late in this song. I wonder if this might have been an amalgam of separate songs that they kind of merged into one. And coming up next, we have Deadbeat Club. Okay, that was a weird intro. Unexpected. Ooh, is that a Rick 12 string? I think it is. Oh, it sounds cool. Ooh, love those harmonies. Nice. Alright, I'm liking this song. It's really cool, but I can see kind of why they buried it in the middle of the album side. Oh, all oh, those harmonies again. Oh. Okay, Deadbeat Club. Wow, that's a nice song. Really cool. Coming up next, Love Shack. Did that at karaoke with uh, a couple of other people during our honeymoon cruise. <laughs> oh, listen to that vocal, really. I never noticed how in your face that was. That was pretty cool. Wait, is Atlanta near Athens? I don't know. I'm going to look that up really quickly. Okay, the distance between Athens and Atlanta, 72 miles. It's a doable drive, I guess. For the record, money and 20 don't rhyme, but yeah, we'll forgive you. Okay, I remember when this came out and there was a lot of debate over or question over what was said in that little break. Um, anybody with the CD, uh, you can take out the liner and look at the printed lyrics. According to the printed lyrics, it's, and I quote, tin roof, comma, rusted, bang. That is the uh, punctuation bang. Okay, we got Junebug now. Starting with uh, some uh, mellow wildlife sounds. I know I've heard this song before, but I would not know it if I heard it. wonder if they're going to change it up a little bit, because all the songs so far have been kind of up-tempo. And it sounds like this is going to be no different. This has a little bit of a walk-like-an-Egyptian vibe, doesn't it? Not that that's a bad thing. I mean, that's a, that's a good song. I kind of like that vocal change off there. That's pretty cool. 
and that was side one of Cosmic Thing. Uh, thoughts so far? I'm really digging this album. Five good songs right in a row. You may have noticed that I was kind of getting a little bit more, um, how, how should we say, quiet, I guess, once we got to Junebug. And the reason for that, I think, is that we started with Cosmic Thing, which you cannot deny is a very up-tempo song. And then Dry County, another up-tempo, not quite as rocking as Cosmic Thing, but still it's very fast. Well, not very fast, but it's fast-paced, as was Deadbeat Club. Love Shack, of course, was just a party. And Junebug, again, another up-tempo song. There's not really a lot of tempo dynamics here. Like, it doesn't really get mellow. You want to have a little bit of a mellowness interspersed so you don't have the same thing all across. That just might be my old radio career mind talking right there. But still, the fact is, I'm really liking the album so far. And uh, it does sound kind of commercial. Not that that's a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. Commercial does not mean bad. And I guess that's how this album was a departure from their earlier material, the B-52s. It was not unheard of, especially in the 80s, for existing bands to kind of dip their toes in the more commercial waters. Yes did it with 90125, although I believe that many Yes fans will argue that it's not truly a Yes album, but it's more like Yes in name only. The Grateful Dead did it with Touch of Grey, which I think would have been a better song if it were a Joe Jackson song. Nothing wrong with the song itself, but I don't think the dead should have done it. But if Joe Jackson had done it, he would have had another huge hit with it, I think. But anyway, it's neither here nor there. We're going to continue now with side two, which starts with Rome. I'm just going to jump ahead a little bit and say that I think that's a great way to start an album side. Bushfire is next, which uh, I'm not familiar with, but Lisa said it's her least favorite song on the album. Channel Z, which of course was a pretty big hit, Topaz, and finally the end of the album, we have Follow Your Bliss, which I can't really say it's an instrumental because it has vocals, but it doesn't have words. I'll put it to you that way. Uh, spoiler alert, I'm very familiar with Follow Your Bliss, and I love it. But uh, I'm just going to jump right in to side two of Cosmic Thing right about now. Oh, never really noticed those effects on the vocals before. I believe those are fifths that they are singing there. The panning, the phasing, love it. Ooh, nice little cymbal crash. Okay, how the drums are here, that's how forward they should be mixed on the rest of the album. By the way, according to the printed lyrics, it's Rocket, R-O-C-K-E-T, through the wilderness, not Rocket. This is a cool guitar solo that, again, should be potted up a little bit. This is pretty cool. Never really paid attention to it before. Little trivia. All songs in this album were written by the B-52s, or at least they're credited to the B-52s, but this one has an additional credit. Lyrics by Robert Waldrop. I just feel bad for Fred Schneider, because he doesn't really have anything to do here. They could at least have him just sometimes yell out, Rome, if you want to! You know what they should do toward the end of the song is, uh, at least through part of the chorus, drop all the instruments out and just leave it with the vocals and the hand claps, and then bring everything back. Really good choice for opener for side two. Next is Bushfire. This is the song on the album that uh, Lisa doesn't like. This will be my first time hearing it, so let's see what I think about it. She doesn't think it's a bad song, she just doesn't like it. Okay, I'm liking this, actually. There's only one thing I don't like. It's uh, There are some times when there are E chords, and then they change to B minor instead of, say, B or B7. It just kind of makes it feel a little bit dark at that point, but other than that, I'm really liking this. I like the interplay between vocals here. And actually, I like that double tracking on his voice. It sounds really cool. Again, the only thing I don't really like that much about the song is when the E goes to a B minor instead of a B or B7, but you know, it's not bad. That's the only thing I would change about it, but yeah, I like this song. 
I think I can dig how some people might not resonate well with this song because there are a lot of E chords in it in which the vocalists are singing F sharps and C sharps, which you don't really have as part of E chords or definitely in the E scale, but just having that uh, combination right there, like the key of E, but singing a lot of F sharps and C sharps, is just kind of weird. Is usually you're going to be singing like an E or a G sharp or an A or a B. Sometimes a D. Coming up next, Channel Z, which also was a big hit from this album. I'm kind of sort of familiar with it. Fred has some interesting vocals coming up because he goes at static. Cool little reverb effect on the guitar there. It sounds really great on headphones. Huh, that low Fred Schneider vocal static might actually be digitally altered. It might not be his natural voice. It might be there was some kind of pitch bend effect put on his voice rather than him naturally singing that low. There's a lot going on you don't really notice if you're not wearing headphones, or at least that's my experience with it. I like this. Not as I actually like Bushfire better, but I like this one too. I love how these lyrics kind of seem random here. Really, so far, there's not a single song on this album that I don't like. And uh, the next song, if I like it, then it's official. I like every single song on this album. Every single track. Topaz is next. Now, I was going to say, because it's the 80s, they had to put a saxophone there, but there's no saxophone credited in the liner notes. Like, if I'm going to sit down and listen to Cosmic Thing from start to finish, this will be my least favorite track, but I'm not going to skip it. I still like it enough to listen to it, so. Ooh. It's very CTA 102 by the birds. Something about those harmonies right there sound... Ooh. Oh. You can hear similar harmonies in uh, the new remix, well, new-ish remix of uh, Mike Oldfield's Hergist Ridge. I've been drinking a lot of ice water today, and uh, man, I wish I brought a Gatorade bottle with me right now, because, well, figure it out yourself. All right, next is my favorite track on the album, Follow Your Bliss. Very pleasant, very cool, very trippy. Now, this has vocals. There are no words. It has vocals, and it's the only track on the album in which... Kate Pearson and Cindy Wilson are not singing on the same track. Instead, we have Sarah Lee singing with Kate Pearson. By the way, if you've never heard the Pet Sounds album, this is what both of the instrumentals from it sound like. This is kind of like a hybrid of both the title track from Pet Sounds and Let's Go Away for a While. Gee, I wonder if that's why I like it so much. Yeah, this is very Brian Wilson. The drums, notice how they don't use cymbals here. That's a Brian Wilson thing. Well, there's a cymbal there. Oh, those harmonies, nice. It's amazing how beautiful just two-part harmony can sound, isn't it? Man, if they intended to make this sound like a Brian Wilson production, they did it. I mean, if Brian Wilson were... At his prime in the late 80s, this is what his music would sound like. And again, this album was supposed to have kind of a Beach Boysy sound, and sure as heck. So, uh, that was um, my thoughts on Cosmic Thing by the B-52s. When I was looking through the liners when I was listening, I noticed one thing interesting is that this whole album is all about New York. Kind Well, I don't mean it's literally about New York, but it was recorded... In New York, uh, the state of New York at least, uh, New York City, uh, West Hurley, New York, Bearsville, New York. I don't know if those are parts of New York City. was mixed in New York. And interestingly, the fan club is also based in New York. Send a stamped self-addressed legal size envelope to Sue Seriani, Central Street Station, New York, New York. So much New York for a band that... Everybody knows is from Athens, Georgia, so go figure, go figure. And as I was listening, I was also thinking, this album can really only exist, as far as I'm concerned, on CD or maybe cassette, but not really vinyl. It doesn't sound like something you'd listen to on vinyl. 
And interestingly, half the album was recorded digitally. The Nile Rodgers songs, which were, um, let me see, it's in the CD as to which is which. Uh, so Cosmic Thing, Dry County, Deadbeat Club. Uh, oh man, these things are so tiny. I can't, uh, Rome, Topaz, and I think Follow Your Bliss. Those were the Nile Rodgers recordings. Those were done digitally. And the Don Was productions, which are the other tracks, were recorded analog and mixed analog. The whole album was mixed analog, actually. I don't know how that would translate to an analog medium, if it would degrade the sound or anything. But yeah, this is definitely something you want to listen to digitally, like on a CD or something. But uh, one thing that I did notice that I kind of liked is, um, unlike a lot of modern recordings... The mastering on this album was done pretty well. The way that I listened when I was recording my commentary here was I loaded up all of the songs into Logic Pro 10, which is what I use to record this podcast. I loaded those all into one track into Logic Pro, and I have a separate track for my microphone, which is where I'm talking now in that other track. And so when I'm recording and I'm watching the tracks go by, I can see the uh, waveforms of the audio and I could see how Cosmic Thing was mastered. It was mastered very well. It was not brick walled like most modern recordings are. And uh, those of you who don't know what I mean by brick walled, um, here's, I'll make as uh, simple an explanation as I can. Basically, when you record something, you master something, whatever, you mix something, you want to make sure that the volume does not go into the red zone. Like if you ever see a VU meter, you want to keep the needle outside of that red zone because once the needle goes into that red zone, you get distortion. In fact, here's what I'll do. You get something that sounds like that, and uh, there we go. Turn the uh, input down a little bit, and that's a little bit better. Now, brick walling is when something is mastered such that every sound is compressed so that it goes as loud as it can without going into that red zone, which means there's not a lot of dynamics in volume, and it sounds kind of stale. Sometimes it sounds really harsh, and sometimes it does go into the red a little bit. A prime example I can think of off the top of my head is American Idiot by Green Day. I cannot listen to that album. I tried. I really wanted to listen to it and understand it and get the concept, but I could not listen for more than a few minutes because it was brick-walled to hell. Ugh, it sounds awful. You want to have the dynamics. You want the quiet parts quiet, the loud parts loud. But my overall thoughts on Cosmic Thing, really a great album. The only thing I would change about it, if it even is possible to change about it, it's throw in a ballad or two just to change up the feel because most of the songs are very up-tempo. I think the one exception really, Follow Your Bliss at the very end of the album. A great way to end, by the way. And I think uh, it's a great way to end this episode. And by the way, if I sound a little bit different from before, it's because in this segment I'm experimenting with a noise gate because I noticed that when I record, there's a lot of hiss in the background Usually it's something you get when you record on, on uh, analog tape, which I don't. I record 100% digitally on my computer. But the uh, preamp that I use with my microphone introduces a lot of hiss. So I tried using a noise gate plugin in Logic Pro just to kind of filter out the hiss so I don't have to try to do it later without sacrificing uh, some EQ in my voice. So if I sound a little bit different, that's why uh, I'll figure out later if uh, my noise gating was successful, and I'll adjust as such, but I'm going to end uh, chapter 45 of Autobiography of a Schnook right here, and thank you, dear listener, for listening. And of course, I thank my wonderful wife, Lisa, for putting up with me, <laughs> and also for kind of introducing me to Cosmic Thing, as it were. Uh, if this weren't in her CDs, I probably never would have really given it a shot, even though I probably should have. Not, I never disliked the B-52s or anything. I always liked what I heard by them. But I'm really glad that I listened to Cosmic Thing, and I have her to thank for that. I have her to thank for being my travel companion. Actually, it's probably more like that I'm her travel companion. <laughs> and uh, just a reminder, you can reach out to me via email at autobio at schnookpodcast.com. You can reach me on the various social media that are out there. Look for 
Schnook Podcast as the handle. Website is schnookpodcast.com. Facebook, just look for Autobiography of a Schnook. And something that I like to disclaim at the end of all my episodes, and I especially have to disclaim it for this one because it certainly applies, is that any sounds and music that you hear in this podcast that are not mine are the properties of the respective copyright holders and are used for the purpose of review and commentary. No infringement was intended. But I don't know when I'm going to get another episode out. Uh, I realize it's already into March, and this is the first episode of the year. (laughs) I'll try better, folks, I promise. But until then, I'm going to remind you that I feel that the good goes around. It'll especially go around if you follow your bliss. All the best, my friends. I know it doesn't matter, it's just a script and all this, but I need to correct a typo here. Nobody's going to see this but me, but that's the fact I'm going to see it. Who?